Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode, I believe it's 351. We are finishing the uh, the Quinta Silmarillion today. Not the entire book, but this section of the book. Uh, today's, I think, is chapters 20 through 22 through 24 of the Quinta Silmarillion. So welcome. Glad to have you here. I am Craig, your host. And over there, uh, you know, if I could... I should say he's my shining star, right? But in that I would cast him into the stars forever. Uh, It's just, you know, you can come back and fight my battles for me, but... uh, Got it. Yeah, I just don't want you there on a constant basis. It's Ryan Bruckman. I twinkle a lot. (laughs) I know, and I'm sitting next to you, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And if he dropped his girdle, you know he'd get invaded post-haste. It's Kyle Lemon. You know, I don't know why you're always trying to get into my girdle. Stay out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like when I see you, Kyle, when, it, when I look at your face, all I can see is the word girdle. Girdle. Mm. Yeah. What a horrible word. Does that not just, it's not a lovely word. A blood girdling screams. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, today we're talking about uh, the fall of Gondolin. We're talking, well, not the, not the book, <laughs> just the event, the fall of Gondolin, the fall of Doriath, or I guess it's called the ruin of Doriath. We're talking about Erendil. Uh, and the the new morning star, all that kind of stuff. So that is what we're going over. Um, it, this is I, I have not written a full um, recap of this one, just because I kind of figured I, I did what five or six of those uh, as we've made these episodes. And as I went through, I was like, this is pointless. If anybody's listening to this, they've read these chapters, and you know, they're it's only a little bit. So I you just, presume too much. You but, think that we've read these chapters. <laughs> I know that Ryan has because Ryan we showed up. Him. Ryan showed up and said, "Wait a minute! I thought it was just twenty-two and twenty-three. So Kyle and I chatted while Ryan read chapter twenty-four. So yep. uh, that being he was said, playing Snake though. He just I just haven't held out long enough. <laughs> he pulled out his old Nokia brick phone and he was playing Snake the whole time we were talking, mm-hmm. just long enough to long uh, enough. to trick us into thinking he'd read it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I told you it was weird that my Nokia had a Kindle app on it. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, before we get to any of that stuff, thelegendarium.com is where you can go check out full, sh- uh, or not full show notes, that's, I'm sorry, wrong show, I, I host multiple shows and sometimes I get mixed up, thelegendarium.com is where you can go to get the Patreon link, to get the Discord link, and to find episodes sorted by uh, subject, you, you normally by author, uh, but you can also get our author shelf series all grouped together. The way, uh, the way I envision this working is that, you know, most people aren't actually listening to the episodes on our website, although they are there. You can press the play button and listen to them there. So if, if you want to do that, that's fine. But at the very least, you can check on the episode numbers. Uh, and so if you're wondering where to find, you know, the rest of the Dune episodes or where's your Patrick Rothfuss stuff or whatever, you can find the episode number and then listen to it on whatever podcatcher you so choose. My go-to is usually like, did these idiots talk about this guy? And then I can find it. Yeah, exactly. So if that's in your mind, we probably did. That's actually the text we wrote at the top of the webpage. <laughs> this is what the idiots have talked about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, anyway, now, Ryan, now that you have read <clears throat> all three chapters. Yes. Uh, how did it go? Uh, what what has been your impression of finishing up this uh, this part of the tale? The most interesting thing for me in these final three chapters finishing up was actually feeling the closure of the arc. Uh, uh, like we see the, the kind of the rise of the elven, and this is kind of the fall. Like it's not that they're all gone or anything. Like, right. Clearly deal with it. But the end of the glory days, mm. um, finishing these out, the um, the battle of uh, the war of wrath, mm, like, yeah, kind of we close out. So and looking back over what we've already read, going, oh yeah, I see the I see a full story arc here. I feel or I see a full tale that's been told. Um, in the past, as we've done this, partially because of the way we've done this, it's been a lot of individual story pieces. Like oh, this is. This is a cool story piece. This is a cool story piece. But I, for the first time, feel like I have the full tale of the elves of Middle Earth, at least, mm-hmm. um, along with a few other heroes who have kind of come in. And so it's it's certainly not the happiest ending. <laughs> you might say that. Um, but it's also like it, there's also still the good guys are able to finally get Morgoth Mm, okay. Sort of taken care so, of. Let's but. let's talk about that because I I'm always struck when I reach this section, especially as we get to the end. 
Uh, oh, okay. I'll give a little recap. The Noldor uh, are just in shambles, right? After mm-hmm. the after the anybody remember the name of the fifth battle? Near Nyth, I don't know it yet. No, no. Am I the only one who memorized that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Of course he didn't. Why would you? Uh, he asked himself rhetorically. Uh, <laughs> after that battle, the Noldor are in shambles. The seven sons of Fanor are scattered or killed in some cases. Uh, by the time we get to the end of this story, uh, or the end of these chapters in chapter 24, there's only two of them left. There's Maedhros and Maglor are the only ones left. Everybody else is killed. Um, Gondolin is no more. It's been mm-hmm. completely razed to the ground. Doriath has been sacked. Nargothrond has been sacked. Everything is gone, right? Um, and it, and then at the end of the story, like you say, Ryan, the, the good guys prevail. Uh and if this were another book, if this were the type of book we normally read, right, with an arc and a protagonist and, you know, like the mm-hmm. civilizational clash that we often see in, in these fantasy stories, then it would be supremely annoying that uh, that the gods are like, all right, hey, yeah. you know, they roll their eyes and say, all right, Vanyar, you're up, sluggers, mm-hmm. go pack it up, the Teleri will ship you over and you just go just pound Morgoth into the ground. Yeah. Just destroy that guy. And, you know, it, it's almost like it's nothing, mm-hmm. right? It, I mean, it's not, of course, but the speed with which we go through that in the narrative is uh, compared to, like, again, compared to a normal, quote-unquote, normal novel would be immensely unsatisfying. Yeah. And yet, this is not a normal novel. It so, would be like if Endgame was a two-minute short. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Something like, except that I mean, part of my point is that we've been following the heroes of Endgame through the whole MCU, and this mm-hmm. is like a, a twenty movie arc coming to a close, and they all get their shining moment. And in this one, it's like, uh, yeah, no, you've all died or betrayed your oaths, or you know, uh, or betrayed your friends, or you know, lusted mm-hmm. after the Silmarils, uh, and no, you're all dead, mm-hmm. and now. God has to come clean up your mess. Thanks a pantload, Chet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that from? Wayne's World. That's what yeah. that is. <laughs> I can never remember all my references. Uh, anyway, Kyle, what do you think of all that? Like, did this feel anticlimactic or unsatisfying, or did it feel like, oh man, what a what a closure to an arc that I've been reading? Um, I don't know that I felt like it was even closure to an arc, to be honest, because I just kind of was going with. Going with the flow of of events, to be honest, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't connect it like Ryan did, where it's like, oh, here's the whole story of the elves. It was just a continuation for me, yeah. Um, because for me, it just feels like there's still going to be a continuation. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is just the next checkpoint. Um, which I guess, as you put it that way, there is there's definitely an arc there. But I had I didn't put that together as I was reading it. It was more like, okay, so now here's what happened to Hurin, and here's what happened to you know, Doriath and Nargothrond and all that, how that all went down. Um, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't put together the arc thing for me. It's, it's a continuation or a right. continuum, I should say. Yeah. So, and it's, uh, we definitely get, um, in, in the book, you know, there's a nice little, uh, epigraph, I guess at the end, that's like, and you know, and thus it was whatever, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah for a paragraph. Um, but, we're going to, as we go into a Calabeth, you'll see that, okay, we do have some characters that we were just reading about and it kind of carries us into the second age. Then we'll get to the end of a Calabeth and there will be characters in there that carry us through into the third age. And it all, uh, you know, kudos to Christopher Tolkien and Guy Gabriel K, mostly Christopher, I'm sure, um, for crafting that, for making this feel like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just continuing mm-hmm. with the story because that's, one of the points of this is that, yeah, it's all part of one big story, right? This is all, especially when we're talking about elven houses and the Elros and Elrond and the half elven and, and mm-hmm. how did I say health? The health elven. Uh, well, the elf is there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, it, you know, it all feels very uh, connected and mildly incestuous uh, yeah. at times, you know, uh, Aragorn and Arwen being first cousins 37 times removed or something like that. Anyway. Um, but it, I mean, that's, uh, I guess I'm straying a little bit, but yeah, part of the point of it is this is all connected. Uh, so yeah, of course it should feel that way. So that's good that it does. 
Um, I do want to bring up, oh, this is going to be, by the way, a very patron heavy episode. We've got a lot of patron questions. We're going to be digging into a lot of those. I think that'll make up the bulk of what we're doing here today. Um, but I do want to bring up one of my favorite moments from the entire Silmarillion, and that is the final paragraph, not the epigraph, but the final paragraph in this section, in chapter 24, when the Vanyar have come and defeated Morgoth, and uh, everything's getting wrapped up uh, at the end of this chapter. And we get this paragraph. But Morgoth himself, the Valar, thrust through the door of night, beyond the walls of the world, into the timeless void. And a guard is set forever on those walls, and Erendil kept, keeps watch upon the ramparts of the sky. Yet the lies that Melkor, the mighty and accursed, Morgoth Bauglir, the power and terror, the power of terror and of hate, sowed in the hearts of elves and men, are a seed that does not die and cannot be destroyed, and ever and anon it sprouts anew and will bear dark fruit even unto the latest days. Love that. It's a really good distillation of one thing that Tolkien that that he comes back to again and again um for anybody who complains about how long the end of Return of the King is yeah I'm not talking about the movies you know people can complain about that whatever I don't care but in the books we got the scouring of the Shire and part of his point with the scouring of the Shire is congratulations you've won the day is saved but that doesn't mean that evil is gone it requires uh, it requires constant vigilance. What? Who's the character that says constant vigilance? What am I thinking of? Constant vigilance. No. Okay. Yeah. Again, I can't it's remember. It's ringing a bell, own, but I don't know what it is. All my own references. Yeah. Somebody on uh, Discord will tell us. No, no doubt. But yeah, he says um, uh, the lies that Melkor sowed in the hearts of elves and men are a seed that does not die and cannot be destroyed. And it's a very. Uh, this is. This is Tolkien to a T. This is very um, a small C conservative, okay, Catholic. That that part of Tolkien that's like, no, that is human nature. We are fallen. You know, he believes in original sin, and that is this is human nature. This is the way we are. Uh, you know, in in this story, it's because of the lies of Melkor, right? But uh, but it still it fits really neatly with his real life worldview. Uh, his his religious worldview. Uh, it's a really great distillation from him. So anyway, uh, is there anything that you guys wanted to bring up as highlights before we dig into the listener questions that will no doubt take us through a lot of the story uh, without recapping it chronologically? Um, I know this is a little bit of a retread of a prior point, but there was a fantastic example in this. Um, I, th I believe it's the uh, fall of uh gondol gondolin gondolin um i'm sure it's gondolin or you know gondolin yeah, um <laughs> if just the i don't know if to call it mastery or schizophrenia or whatever of deciding when details matter and when they don't mm. uh it's it's been a constant thing throughout the whole book as like we even just now we mentioned you know this huge epic final battle of the vanyar coming through is like it just kind of happens. There's not a lot of information there. Right. But earlier on, there's a sequence, and I don't remember who it is, that he actually describes, and the body was thrown down and hit thrice upon the rocks <laughs> right, and it falls into the fire. I'm like, okay, so we had to know exactly how many times that hits the rocks. Right. But then we go and we talk about the host of uh, Morgoth coming over the, as a red sun over the, you know, uh, the northern slopes of the mountain coming mm -hmm, down, mm -hmm. and it's all this host of Balrogs and dragons. For you know, from, and I was just like, I remember no major details here, just a host of bad guys coming over the top. Mm -hmm. But what was important, yeah, in that sequence was that well, there was a festival going on that everyone was celebrating the fact that the sun was about to rise for the <laughs> summer, and then we do the whole red sun rising on the opposite side <laughs> coming out. There was just a whole bunch of things. I'm like, that is. When whenever he does the the host things, there's no details. Your mind fills it in. It's masterful. And then when he does the individual moments where it's like, and the body bounced three times, it's like, yeah, I needed to know that. And it's it's also fantastic. So I don't know how he lands it, or if it's just because of the feeling that I I it was just a moment that stood out to me on this. Week. Sure. Yeah, that so. makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> there is uh, so. We've talked already about Baron and Luthien and how there is a companion book that goes along with it. And you can read portions of the epic poem that he was composing about Baron and Luthien. 
Um, and the book is essentially a, a distillation of the notes that you get in the history of Middle Earth that takes you through how this story came to be, et cetera, et cetera. We get the same thing with Turin. Uh, well, I, I think it's called The Children of Hurin, uh, the, the standalone volume. Uh, there, There is a volume called The Fall of Gondolin uh, as well. And the reason there is one of those is because it was kind of the next story that he had in his mind to really flesh out mm -hmm. in the way that he was doing with Baron and Turin. Okay. Um, and so I, th <laughs> I think as opposed to some of the other stuff earlier in the book, this story... He did have some of those little teeny details in his mind. Yes, it bounced thrice off the rocks and fell into the fire. Mm -hmm. So he has this in his mind because, I, I don't know, he wrote some dope passage in <laughs> the poem. And he's like, that's going in everywhere, right? Um, and then, but but it, he didn't get as far along with that one as he had with the other two. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, so this chapter in the book, I think, feels a little more sparse because of that, because there wasn't the same kind of uh, uh, detail to draw on from his notes. Mm -hmm. um, but what we got is, it's certainly interesting, but yeah, no, I think I think you're you're right on with feeling a little bit, uh, what'd you call it? Not schizophrenic, but uh, uneven. Yeah. It's uneven at least. Yeah. Right, yeah. Kyle, anything you want to bring up? I think what stood out to me the most in this reading, or what I enjoyed, I should say, the most about this reading was in finally escaping hmm. uh, or being let go or being let go and then leading like be, first being accused of being a spy for Morgoth because he was with Morgoth for mm -hmm. so long but then essentially being a spy without being a spy because he led you know Morgoth's minions to basically the neighborhood of where Thingol was so that they knew where he was um, and I just liked that whole that whole portion of it I really liked how Gave the what's Noglamir? Is that what it's called? The yeah, necklace. Very nicely done. Um, and he said, "What did he say? I got it here." Um, he for like, now he casts it at the feet. Yeah, of, he throws uh, it at Thingol's feet, and he says, "For now, my fate is fulfilled, and the purpose of Morgoth achieved. But I am his thrall no longer." Oh, so that's the that's the second part of it. That's actually he, right. He so at first he throws it at Thingol, it kind of in a in a sarcastic way almost uh, is like, hey, here's your fee, right, jackass, <laughs> you know. And then um, it, and then it's explained to him what actually took place. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think it's Melian who tells him, look, yeah, you you have some of the facts, but you have a lot of lies as well. Mm -hmm. Here's what Morgoth told you. Here's what actually happened. And it's um, I, and we I actually, did we did take care of your family, but they exactly. left. And had they come back, we'd continue to take care of them. But it's exactly. not our fault that they didn't come back. And I I love that passage because uh, it's actually really well drawn uh, in that you can see Huron's hesitation mm -hmm. when he said, you know, he's just delivered this scathing uh, rebuke, and then is himself rebuked, and he's chastened. And he pauses. He stops for a moment. You can kind of see the wheels turning in his head. What do I do? <laughs> like mm -hmm. I've just been put in my place. I everything I thought I knew was, or you know, was a lie or a distortion of some kind. And he kind of just, you can almost see him, you know, sigh and you know, his shoulders sag. And he goes, "You know what? You're right. I'm sorry. That was uncalled for." And he picks the necklace back up. And instead, you know, he'd thrown it at Thingol. Mm -hmm. He picks it back up and hands it to him and, you know, thanks him for what he mm -hmm. did for his family. It's a really, really nice moment and makes him uh, an even cooler character than he already was. And I really liked the part, your point earlier about Morgoth's, yeah, Morgoth's been locked away at the end of all of this, but his, his influence remains. Like, mm. It will never go away. And I think that that sums it up. Like, I don't know that this was the purpose of it, but when, when he says, and the purpose of Morgoth has been achieved, I think that you know, that's the innocence that has been taken away way, way, way at the first of this, when Morgoth or Melkor introduce, introduces essentially discord. Mm -hmm. That is the purpose of it, and it will never... Join our server. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it'll never... It'll, it's, it's impossible to to remove at this point, like you said. Um, yeah. So that's his, that's been his purpose all along is to plant that seed of discontent and evil and whatever. Yeah. Do we rename, rename our server to be the seed of Melkor. Oh dude, that would be, 
immediately made uh, inappropriate <laughs> yes. in ways I'd rather not. But <laughs> but I, at first glance, it was a good idea. <laughs> Seed of Melkor. Nice. Nicely done. Uh, okay. Wait, what was I? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's get into some listener questions or comments here. This one from Hurin Fan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now we find we're there. We know why Hurin Fan calls himself Hurin Fan because Hurin is somebody you can definitely be a fan of. But the question from Hurin Fan is who had it worse, Hurin or his son? Now that we've had both stories uh, come to come to completion, who had it worse? That, that is a tough question, honestly. Uh, say, is it worse to be imprisoned in hell, essentially, and then come back from that and have your everybody you care about gone? Or is it worse for Turin, who is basically going through life, killing people accidentally? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Ryan, you look like you've got a thought before I go. I, I was going to steal the quote from... Um, King Theoden, no parent should outlive their child. No parent should outlive their child, yeah. So to, I think for everything that Hurin had to go through to come out with the lies that he was told. Oh, no, no, no parent should have to bury his child. I think that's what he says in the movie. Yeah. Um, But to come out uh, from all of that and to go and based on the information you have, try and, you know, claim your retribution not retribution he's not like out for revenge or anything but restitution yeah and to realize that that's been all wrong everything and then to just kind of basically die of depression like it's i think huron had it worse yeah I, i do i do i i think i would probably disagree um I think Turin might have had it worse in that when his life ended, he, his life ended without honor. He had he had forfeit his honor many times over, and was so overcome by that that he commits suicide—the ultimate act of dishonor um, in some ways and in some situations. Uh, and so I think. Uh, I, I guess Hurin kind of Darth Vader's it in a way. Okay, he's not a, a bad guy who repents, but he's he's been in Morgoth's um, care, <laughs> yeah. shall we say. Uh, and so he's been miserable for decades now. But when he's done, he does get to reunite with his wife, however briefly. Um, and he does get to reconcile with Thingol. Um, and he does avenge his son with Mim the dwarf. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are moments at the end where I look, I am not saying that made what he went through worth it. And I am not saying he had it easy. But how, in whose shoes would I rather have my life end? I'll take Hurin every time. Uh, maybe I, I could be convinced otherwise. I'm not. Uh, but but as as I'm thinking about it right now, yeah, I uh, Turin's path was uh, was pretty rocky. Turin's legacy also isn't he recognized by the elves as like the mightiest right. warrior man? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, and I don't know that Tur. I mean, Turin is there too, but like not the same. Yeah, it's not it's, in the same. He's not revered the same way. It's uh, it's Barry Bonds with the uh, the home run record. There's always going to be an asterisk there for Turin, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you might be one of the greats, but we're never going to take that asterisk off your name. Uh, yeah, I don't know, something like that. Or some other metaphor that has to do with fantasy literature that <laughs> people will care about. I don't know, whatever. I love baseball. Okay, back off. Uh, all right, <laughs> should we do another listener question or did you guys have more thoughts on that? Mm-mm. All right, so uh, Leviathan asks, could Erendil be considered the main character of the Silmarillion? Much of this book is spent building toward his birth and eventual voyage to Valinor, and we know Tolkien intended to expand the lay of Erendil into a full-length story comparable to Beren and Luthien and the children of Hurin. So is, is he, or could he be considered the main character of the Silmarillion? Hell of a prologue if he's the main character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a very short story. Yeah. I, I'm 
I get what you're aiming at here, and I could see it if there was more of the story of Arundel for us mm-hmm. told. Like, then I would probably agree with it more. But as the as it stands, no, no, definitely a major like there is a major drive to that. I this is the first time I connected also the star of uh, Arundel to the, like this story and and uh, its later use and stuff. I was like, oh, okay. That's cool. I didn't. Yeah, it's cool. Connection, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, no, I don't think so either. I think um, the only two characters who I think you could make some kind of case for being the main character of the Silmarillion, if such a thing were to exist, would be Feanor or uh, Morgoth. Yeah, that's. Eh. And and even then, Morgoth, um, he he becomes much more like we know Sauron in The Lord of the Rings. He's this kind of presence off in the distant evil land. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, he's kind of the puppet master directing things. But we, he he becomes less and less of a presence as the book goes on. Um, uh, and Feanor, of course, dies fairly early, right? Well, okay, Ryan, I just spit all over you, but that's okay. Um, I, I've decided that's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. We're good. Uh Anyway, so yeah, no, I don't think so, but it's it's I think it's a question worth asking, but it's also answered fairly easily. This this is also a storyline where I could almost argue that we don't have much by way of main characters like you're saying, but we do have main elements of character that like for example the um you said Feanor could be one, but the oath of Feanor's and his sons like to to always bring the sil- to the Silmarils, the Doom of Mandos, like some of those things that are recurrent, uh, recurrent through most of the storyline. Mm-hmm. I I almost feel like some of those things are more of a main element than most of our characters are. The fact that this yeah. is going to pay, they, you know, we get to the end here and we have the third kin slaying, which is kind of the fulfillment of oh my gosh, yeah, like like okay, no, that's that's been a long time in the process here, and that's I'm we've been reading more about fulfillment of that than necessarily any one individual character's story arc um there is yeah somebody had some questions about that uh and i'm i'm going through here trying to find it ah um jesse l says i have sympathy for the sons of feanor trying to fulfill their oath they swore it in anger and at the bidding of their father to the very real gods if they did not fulfill their oath, their souls would be doomed to the everlasting darkness, or so they swore. Mm-hmm. It's it that last that final kinslaying that you're referencing, where the the two remaining sons of Feanor gather their armies and attack uh, the uh, the shipyards, whatever you know, yeah. whatever city I can't remember the name of the city on the coast, um, and it's just it's devastating in part because neither of them really wants to do this. They They're, try to get away. With, they try to not do it at the beginning by saying, "Hey, can you just please give it to us so we don't have to come kill you?" Right. And 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 Maglor is saying to Mytheros, uh, "Look, can we, there's all these other ways that we could go about this?" Or I guess, uh, sorry, that's a little bit later on. But we're I guess we're getting there. They they both they're over it. They're mm-hmm. both over the oath at this point. But they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, they swore the oath. They have to go after the oath. So I guess that I'm I my brain was fast forwarding to the moment when the uh, Vanyar have come and conquered Morgoth and Eonwe, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the herald of the Valar, has the Silmarils in his keeping. Yeah. He's going to take them across the ocean, <laughs> and Maglor is like, "Can we just let's just go with them? Yeah, maybe they'll forgive us, and eventually we can have the Silmarils, you know, uh, without bloodshed." And Mytheros is like, eh, that sounds nice, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and our oath would compel us then to try to steal them, and that would be impossible in Valinor. You know, anyway. So I, I, it's just that that devastating turn where they're they're stuck by their oath. They they feel like they have no choice. I don't know. It, you need it, a good oath lawyer that can find the loopholes and <laughs> like, look, you don't have to kill anyone, but you have to go try and get it. So you know. Hold a flag football tournament or something, and the winner gets to keep the Silmarils. You know? <laughs> nice, nice. 
Um, okay, so let's go on to another one. I, I spent so long trying to find that last one that I lost the one I wanted to. Oh, okay. Thingle's death. Speaking of the Silmarils. Okay, this is going to tie together. But this one is from D. Formerly, the artist formerly known as Deepholt. Uh, 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 did Thingle's death feel a bit shocking? Killed by dwarves after all he has been through. Death in battle against a dragon as the girdle fell seemed like more of the kind of end to expect for him. Um, and I Okay, so I'll take this one first and then you guys can respond. Um, I think, again, in a normal novel, yes, that is what we would expect. That is what what we would hope to see. You know, that would be the exciting thing to see for Thingle. But this is not a normal book. And Tolkien has some points that he's trying to make. And I think one of those is around, um, th there are two core themes that I'm noticing and we've talked about them in previous episodes. So I apologize if I am repeating myself too much here, but pride and lust. Um, Thingol exhibits both in great measure. Pride at first, right? He's obviously a very, very prideful king. Uh, we see that we've been frustrated by it uh, in, um, in uh, stories past in this read through but also once he gets his hands on a silmaril just like many others before and after he becomes quite the lusty dude um, and he covets or uh, he becomes very jealous of this thing that he possesses and uh and and i think part of what tolkien is trying to say is if you give in to that if you um you know, whatever, whatever your Silmaril is, I, you know, I, I'm again, this, you know, this is not a, <laughs> this is not an allegory. We're not going for a one-to-one, -one, but you, it's, it is applicable. And whatever your, you know, quote unquote Silmaril is, if you have it in your possession, what is it going to do to you? Mm -hmm. uh, what is, what is chasing after it going <laughs> to do to you? Uh, that, that sort of thing. So now he has it in his possession and he becomes very jealous of it. And because of that, he no longer gets the glorious, ending in battle he no longer gets that kind of awesome story ending that we might want for somebody of his stature in a story like this he gives in to his jealousy and dies an ignominious death in you know to a bunch of dwarves over a kind of like a an argument in the basement i want it no i want it hey i deserve it no you're trying to steal it no you're trying to steal it stab stab you're dead we're out of here mm -hmm. it, you know very very strange ending but i think that's the best i can come up with for why no, why it went that sense. way that it makes sense entirely other than a handful of other things where it's just like oh no we're going to do this entirely different we're just going to go ahead and write a quick ending to this person yeah i also think that it it speaks to your point about your stature doesn't matter necessarily. Like it didn't didn't matter that mm. he was Thingol, king of the elves, and the one was he the one that married the mm -hmm. yeah he's the, the only Maya? the only one that married Amaya, and he's like the highest of the high, right? And even in that grandeur, he's susceptible to to your point, pride and and greed and and lust and all of that. But at the same time. Um, that puts him in a position that something so relatively insignificant could be his doom. So, right, I like that. Uh, all right, so let's move on to Mark Quillen, who sent in a bunch of uh, lengthy questions. Uh, but I, I like this one a lot. Do you feel, speaking of Melian, do you feel like Melian let her people down by quietly disappearing back west without a word? Dropping her girdle. <laughs> what a great phrase. Dropping her girdle. Or was it that maybe the girdle was sustained by her love for Thingol and Luthien, so she had no will left in that matter? Perhaps, as she foresaw the end approaching, she reckoned her kingdom couldn't stay sheltered forever anyway. Even so, she might have stayed, because that ended kind of bad for her grandson and great-grandkids. This is a tough question. Tough question. Okay, so if we go back, uh, do you feel like she let her people down by going quietly, disappearing into the West. Um, so after Thingol dies, she and, and Doriath is kind of uh, ransacked. Mm -hmm. She's just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah, let's, let's would, peace out. What would staying have done for them? Like, yeah, I 
there there's probably an argument that could be made that because she is a Maya, she would have the power that you know magic or whatever we want to call it. She would have the power to turn the tide in some in this this or that battle, mm-hmm. maintain the girdle, uh, you know whatever. Um, it, there there's an argument maybe to be made there, but I think Ryan's question still like to what end? Let's say right. the tide turned for this what does that do in the grand scheme does it change the outcome yeah i don't know if it really necessarily lets her people down uh, i mean it's i guess it's, the question is do you want to ask her to fight until the last drop is is spilt type right thing? and it doesn't really i don't know it doesn't really make a lot of sense to someone who's a my <laughs> right it's kind of it, maybe it's a kind of thing where it's like, look, I don't actually care that much about you people. <laughs> I, I loved this guy, and I loved my daughter. Kind of, you know, like Mark Willen was saying, um, I love this guy, and he's gone. I, I'm, I'm gonna go back and be with my people now. Yeah. Uh, you, you had me for hundreds of years, uh, thousands of years. Uh, you know, maintaining this kingdom and protecting you, and you're on your own now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't feel like. Uh, she never, as far as I know, swore any oaths to maintain Doriath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like a Sons of Feanor situation. Um, it w- could she even swear such an oath as uh, Amaya? I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, she she did it for thousands of years. They made choices. She made choices, and you know, got to move on. I I don't. I guess I don't feel that ill disposed toward her is what it comes down to. Um, all right, so let's do another uh, Hurin fan. Let's do a lighter one here from Hurin fan who asks, of all the cities of the elves, which would you most like to live in? So we've got the big ones. We've got, uh, we've been talking about, uh, uh, in, in Doriath, that's the forest, we've got Menegroth, the Thousand Caves. That's where Thingol and Melian live. We've got the hidden city of Gondolin. We've got Nargothrond. We've got the, uh, I, I can't remember, the harbor town where Kyrden lives. Um, those are probably the ones we get to know the most. Um, I was like, yeah, what, at what point in time are we talking about? Like specifically here at the end? Because they're all getting raised, so I'm not really... <laughs> like, what are the gas prices like in Doriath? <laughs> like, kind of depends regionally. Yeah. How's their I'm... commuter service? Exactly. Um, I'm not a not a live in caves person so that's out um i've got mine but maybe gondolin i don't know oh yeah gondolin would uh the problem is with gondolin that uh that turgon uh, he he succumbs to pride as well in the end and essentially condemns his entire people to death a few of them escape but very very few Mm -hmm. because he closes off the entire city Uh, you know you shall not pass and caves in the passage and is like yeah you're staying here and so if i lived in gondolin yeah sounds great right up until Uh right uh no if i had to choose one it might be and forgive me i can't actually remember the name of it at this point but um uh the island where baron and luthien head to um, I, I don't know if they live alone, but I know that they live among the green elves of Osirian in the southernmost river that feeds uh, into Gelion. And uh, the reason I mention that is because there is a passage where um, after the Naglamir is stolen, or stolen, taken, I guess. I, stolen is a loaded word. It's taken by the dwarves, and they're trying to take it home. Um, Baron gets a bunch of people together, and they go and kill the dwarves and take the necklace with the Silmaril and Luthien wears it on that island and you know it's it becomes this lovely place you know never in Middle Earth had such pure light been seen or you know whatever I can't remember the lines but Tol Galen Tol Galen yeah there you go Um, and so it it sounds like for a little while at least you know after the story of Baron and Luthien while they're there while they live there sounds like a lovely place and, and in part because that's where the green elves live and they just kind of seem like for the most part they're chilling they're like hey look you guys are are doing your anti-morgoth thing and and it's not working out well for you we're just gonna stay over here 
and you know please don't invade our lands or we will shoot you with leaf-shaped bows or you know whatever mm-hmm. um yeah, no, no, it, it seems a little more peaceful than the rest of uh Beleriand. so there you go kyle any thoughts i'd just close my eyes and point at the map probably nargathron because it sounds sweet <laughs> that, that that would be pretty cool uh, if you're going to point your eyes or po- if you're going to close your eyes and point at the map, you're going to accidentally point at Angband and really, <laughs> uh, you know, really Ugh. regret your choices. So, um, all right. How's the weather on Kirith <laughs> Party in the city when the heat is on. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. That was nice. Uh, okay. Uh, Mark Willen says it's interesting how the best of Feanor's sons survived to the end, but even they go themselves into attacking the last elvish refugees. Pretty evil. Uh, do you think Maedros getting his he- right hand cut off was in some way a warning against laying it on the Silmaril, as he does in the end? Um, his rescue by Fingon brought out his best qualities, yet they always wrestled against that damnable oath, which won out in the end. Uh, were he and Maglor really in a catch-22 as they reasoned, or could Iru, on whom they swore the oath, release them if they would just release themselves? As it is, I kind of love their end. Tragic, but not unjust. Um, so, yeah, we're getting back to... Uh, this takes us back to uh, Maedros and Maglor, and so I don't know if we need to retread that ground all the way, but... Like, yeah, I think we covered it fairly well, but I do think he makes a mention in there of something that would have been interesting to see play out is trying to undo the oath like instead of mm. just breaking the oath the idea of going uh, you know to the gods and saying look this is a bad idea and if we're gonna have to go kill a bunch of people and you're not gonna be happy with it we're not gonna be happy with it no <laughs> one's gonna be happy with this any way you can let us out of this so that people don't have to die I'd, I'd be interested to see that you know that would truly, it would clear up the whether or not if they were really in a catch-22. If the God's like, nope, sorry, can't undo that. And like, okay, yeah, then I guess we're screwed. But. And it, it is, it's a tougher situation than that because they can't go ask. Mm-hmm. The only the only possible communication they could have with Iru would be through Manwe in Valinor that they're forbidden from going back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they cannot go there. They're shut out. They're now exiles. And so... It there is, I think it's an interesting idea. Could Iru, on whom they swore the oath, says Mark Willen, um, release them if they would just release themselves? That is, it would be a noble gamble, but a big gamble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they could. I, I putting your own your own soul on the line by making the right choice and hoping that it pays off when you get to the other side. Right. Like, but it, yeah, and at that point, I mean, the right choice would be not to swear the freaking oath to begin with, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's in hindsight. So then does the right choice become stick with your oath or break it? It's a tough situation. It really is. And mm-hmm. I, that's why I like their end in the story so much. It's very, very poignant to me. Um, okay. Let's go to... Oh, you know what? We got another question from Elliot. Yeah. Um, our our young listener. So this one from Elliot. At the end of Tuor and the Fall of Gondolin, it said there were many songs and poems written about Tuor and not his wife, even though she gave birth to, quote, the most beautiful man ever, <laughs> referring to Erendil. Uh, so what, what do we make of this? At the end of Tuor and the Fall of Gondolin, it said... There were many songs and poems written about Tuor and not his wife, even though she was awesome too. Um, I don't know. Not not much to make of that other than the, the damn elvish patriarchy. I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the, Power couples, hot people may. <laughs> I, I, I will say, no, I, I'm being flippant or I was being flippant before, because uh, Tolkien does go to some pains to mention when uh, when great deeds are done by women in his stories. Uh, there's uh, criticism to be made from a modern perspective that he didn't give the women in his stories enough of those, and that's, that's fine. Um, but we do have interesting female characters. I just don't know that she is 
among them. Mm-hmm. She she has a pivotal role, but that role is, you know, wife of, mother of, uh, you know. And so uh, I don't know that there's much to be sung about her except in reference to her relations. I don't know. It's a little cold to say it that way, but um, she's, she's not that interesting, I don't think. Maybe her songs just sucked. <laughs> no one remembers. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe and, she was writing the poems and she didn't want to write them about herself. That's right. She was too humble. There you go. To do it. Way to go, Kyle. Yeah. I got you. You yeah. saved her. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I might be shortchanging her. Maybe if I go back and read it, I, I would be, um, I would have a different opinion of her role in the story. Speaking of which, I want to bring this up again. I, I believe I brought this to your guys' attention a while ago. Do you remember this? The, uh, if for those listening, I am holding up the Tolkien's World from A to Z, The Complete Guide to Middle-Earth. This one's like 20-plus years old now. It's the Robert Foster one. Um, I can't recommend this or something like it because there are a half dozen or a dozen of them out there now. I can't recommend them highly enough. Uh, you can go online and just go to TolkienGateway.net and get a lot of the same information. Um, and in some ways, that's even nicer because there's hyperlinks and you can really quickly... Uh, you know, disappeared down rabbit holes, uh, but I, I, you know, call me old fashioned. I love the uh, the hard copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it reminds me of when I was reading the Lord of the Rings in French, and so I had two books, one book and one dictionary open at all times, right in front of me. Um, these books, these kind of, it's a like an encyclopedia, an A to Z encyclopedia. These are really really useful, so that when you come to questions like this. Um, so uh, Elliot's question was, you know, why why is um, Tuor's wife what what's her name? Uh, Tuor and was it, was it Elwing? No, dang it, that's the yeah, whatever. My brain is so scattered. But with his wife, yeah, you just find her name, and it will tell you all of the details of her story, um, and kind of pull them all all the details from the various chapters that she's in, um, and so her relationship. Uh, you know, with this elf and that man and the, the jealousy here and the things that were said there. And you can do that with a lot of characters and events where I, I remember there were a couple of times in these chapters where um, there would be a reference to the thing that this character said to that character eight chapters ago, you know, and so 350 years ago or whatever it was, um, you know, and therefore you know, and therefore Thingol wouldn't give up the Naglamir, whatever. Uh, and you're sitting there going, well, wait, what? What did he, who said what to, hang on. And you're never going to find it. You know, that's why the rereads are so valuable. But that's also why these encyclopedia volumes are so valuable because you can kind of find that stuff. Uh, you find out what, who said, it says this person said a thing to Thingol. So you go look up that person's entry and it'll probably have something about that. It's not going to flesh out the whole thing, but you know, oh, okay, so you swore an oath to Thingol that this and that and the other, um, and then you don't have to go hunt through eight different chapters to try to find it, right? So, um, I, I mean, it's a little late now that we're finishing up the Quintus Silmarillion, mm-hmm. but it, you know, uh, a nice reminder to even seasoned readers. I'm sitting here trying to remember the name of Tuor's wife. It's embarrassing, but whatever. My brain is shutting off for the day. Um, it's valuable whether it's your first time going through it or your 20th time going through it. I really, really like these. Um, okay, guys. So we've been uh, going for, oh gosh, a little over 50 minutes now. Let's see if we've, I know we've got some more questions to go through. Let me see if I can find a couple. Um, Padre Philippe asks, it's been a while since I read Lord of the Rings, but I think that at least Erendil is mentioned in there, like in Galadriel's gift to Frodo. Are there more interesting connections between this final part of the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings? Did you guys catch any, by chance? Um, I mean, Ryan, you said that, the, that the kind of... The star of Arendil, Elrond, the name Elrond. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were the only real major connections I made. Right, right, right. Um, let's see. We've got. Uh, Didn't we have Glorfindel falling down with a Balrog at some oh, point? Yeah, that was... Right. That's another person's question. Uh, or I, I can't remember I know, who asked like... the question. Is that the same Glorfindel? Uh, I don't know, but it was definitely yeah. evocative and 
reminded me of obviously the Gandalf. Oh, thing. okay. Oh, yeah. No, you're taking it in a direction I wasn't expecting. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a great callback to Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Glorfindel is the name of the elf who um, he's a lord, uh, an elven lord in Rivendell, and he is the one who carries Frodo on horseback after he gets stabbed on Weathertop. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, it's Arwen. They give it to Arwen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the book, it's Glorfindel who picks him up and takes him across the ford um, of Bruinen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, is that the same Glorfindel? I don't think so. I believe our first Glorfindel dies <laughs> in the fall of Gondolin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess if we're going by comic book rules, there we, we didn't see brain matter. So yeah. I no one's ever really gone. No one's <laughs> ever really gone. <laughs> but yeah, what I, what stood out for me with that was just the the imagery of Gandalf and the Balrog and then this this instance of it, I was like, oh, maybe yeah. this was a practice round. Idril, by the way, is her name. Idril. Oh, thank you. Gosh. This is, again, embarrassing, but, you know, it happens. Whatever. I'm not going to beat myself up. Um, <laughs> one in four similar, Silmarillion readers. <laughs> Wait, that's right. That's one in five readers can't remember Idril's name. It happens to every guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, oh, I almost dropped my phone here. Um the the big connection I think in this section is Erendil at the, the star of Erendil, knowing who that is, um, and so when Frodo gets the file from Galadriel, uh, you know, in which she has uh, imprisoned or captured the light of Erendil, our most mm-hmm. beloved star, that's what that is. It's so Frodo is carrying into Mordor um, a, a a file containing the light of a jewel that contained the light of Valinor, the trees, the, the, the two trees in Valinor. So it's a, you know, it's a descendant in some ways of those trees and that pure unsullied light. Um, and so it's a, it, in some when ways you get to that, then. what's that? In some ways connected to the Silmarils. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, it literally is the light of the Silmarils mm-hmm. just distilled over a great, great distance. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. um of time and space right uh so uh, it's the kind of detail where if you're reading the lord of the rings do you need to know that no uh, what you need to know is that frodo got this thing from galadriel and it helped him when he needed it and you know her presence was a comfort uh, you know and a shield uh but when you know that detail oh wow so that hang on the history the the lineage of this thing that frodo is holding on to and that sam uses um, in his battle with shelob that the lineage goes all the way back to the elder days with the trees and all. like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool stuff i like that yeah kyle you yeah i think i interrupted you twice you were no you're good something. i think it it just like you said it really lends gravity to the moment uh or even just the the act of galadriel giving that to frodo and saying either that like I mean, she says it's their most beloved star, but like the fact that we see... I believe that's a movie line, by the way. Sure. But... It's a fine just, movie line. Though. Um, the fact that we see that happen and we know how much bloodshed, turmoil, everything has gone into tracking down Silmarils and what they are. And mm. it just... To me, it's like... I, I mean, I, I didn't make the connection until you were just talking about it but to me it's it's either that galadriel believes so much in the cause that she would hand that over or cares that much about frodo that she would hand that over which is interesting yeah the, the the realization that it's probably one of the few things that actually has the power on its own to hold back and fight darkness of Sauron in this case but of Morgoth because it's still it's it's through Morgoth to Sauron and out right um but the fact that it has that much power this isn't something that she's got you know five or six files sitting back at her dresser (laughs) like she she pulls them off her belt like grenades (laughs) like here why don't you take this one (laughs) blood of Arendil go um but no so it's just how big of a treasure it is and how big of a treasure it would be for so long because of its mm-hmm. its history and that connection is is huge. And and if you don't have that, like I mean, <laughs> this is like dumbing it way down, but 
you know, she's handing out all these things and it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's a flashlight. You, you've given me a flashlight. You know what I mean? Thanks. Yeah. But like, it's so, so obviously so much more than that. And you get all that history and, and understanding and it's like, oh, dang, she just handed him literally like the most precious thing to her people that there is. Right. And it, it, it also, it, it gives you a little context of Frodo's prayer to Erendil. And I had to I had to type it up because I, I don't remember this Elvish phrase off the top of my head. But you remember when he pulls out the file, um, and he he says something in Elvish, and Tolkien, a hole, doesn't even translate it for us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did in a letter later, uh, but in the text, you have no idea what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But he says um, uh, he says I Irendil Elenion Ankalima, and then he just goes on like this. It's this incantation as he holds up the file of Galadriel. Just Kalima. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kalima. <laughs> uh, so when, when he does that, you know, you may not know what the actual words are or what the translation would be, but knowing that he's invoking Erendil um, in, in some way, it lends again, more depth and weight to it. So yeah, good stuff. Thanks for the light Erendil. <laughs> I just now I'm just going off of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Mount Doom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is it, so the translation that he gave was "Hail Erendil, brightest of stars." Ah. Um, that that's all. It's uh, it's simply an invocation. So, um, all right, guys, we should probably start wrapping this up. We're getting closing in on our hour mark. Uh, do you have anything else uh, that you want to close out with uh, on this section, Ryan? I just. Ha- Question heading in because I feel I think if I remember right we've done a Calabeth before. Yes, we have. Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, but I don't recall a whole lot. How this is the end of the Quinta Silmaril. We're moving into a Calabeth at this yes. point. What should we be expecting to be different? We've already said it's mm-hmm. a little bit of it. It's like there is a continuation to it, but what is why is this the end of the Silmaril Quinta Silmaril? Right, but a Calabeth is still there so yeah the quinta silmarillion is the uh, essentially the the account of the silmarils and they've gone and that story is is uh, you know like like we've just been talking about for the last five minutes you know no one's ever really gone right no story is ever really over uh but for all intents and purposes the the story of those jewels is done um so we we kind of end with uh mithros and maglor what mithros casts himself into the earth and maglor tosses his into the ocean um, and then wanders the beaches for the rest of eternity. Like, kind of, I actually really like his ending. It's really good. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's over. So now as we move into Akala Beth, and, well, and uh, Ryan, Kyle, I can't remember who said it earlier that this is, it It feels like we've had the rise and fall of the Noldor in mm-hmm. Middle Earth, right? Um, they're not gone. I mean, you know, we still have Galadriel and her folk and you know and a few others but the story of the noldor has kind of risen and fallen and now we're going to shift into the age of men um and so this is the the story of the second age so we've been in the first age and it has now ended with uh the with the chaining of melkor that ends the first age and now we're going into the second age and that's going to be essentially the story of numenor uh, Numenor being the island nation that is the, uh, these are the forebears of Aragorn, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the people gifted with long life. Um, and this will, this, the story is going to be instantly familiar to anybody who's gone to any Sunday school class in any denomination, uh, because it's essentially the pride cycle in 35 pages or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. It's not a, it's not a terribly long section. Um, but you see, similarly you see a people who are gifted um amazing things by the gods and by god himself um they're they're gifted long life they're gifted this island nation they build up into this amazingly powerful force um and then become so prideful that they fall into ruin and i mean ruin it's really spectacular so that's what uh, that's what we're going to get into and it's this is even more than the Quintus Silmarillion. Akala Beth is really a distillation of a ton of history into a few pages. So you're not going to get 
a lot of like here's your protagonist uh, you know you'll get a little bit of that at the very end but mostly it's kind of an accounting of an entire people and how they rose and fell so uh it is possibly this this kind of shifts um you know every time i read it but most consistently this is my favorite section of the entire book um i love a colobeth i think it's fascinating and really really well drawn so uh yeah kyle any last final thoughts questions comments i'm just i'm the noob so i'm just here yeah. to tag along and and enjoy the ride but it's been cool so far and yeah. like i said or like ryan said i'm i'm interested in how this will be different now that the silmarils are done the MacGuffin right. has left the building. The MacGuffin, ha- you know, we put it on a necklace. It looked really nice, and ne- so I guess my other question, maybe we answered this before, but maybe we didn't. Is the Arkenstone a Silmaril, or is it not? No, it is not a Silmaril. Cool. No, uh, it's good thought, but no, not not a Silmaril. Um, just a dope rock. I like dope rocks. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tell we're uh, we're fading fast. My energy levels ending on dope rocks. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. We got it. We got to quit while we're way, way, way behind. Yeah. So, thanks for listening. Go to thelegendarium.com. Come back uh, in a couple weeks for Akala Beth. I'm gonna go on and uh, redo our schedule for the last two episodes because I'm, I'm sure we're supposed to be publishing the last episode when this one comes out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll go retool that so you can check that out. Anyway, uh, Ryan, Kyle, thanks for coming. I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Bye.